0: You're listening to Melissa and Lori Love Literacy. Today, we'll be talking to the authors of the book, Artfully Teaching the Science of Reading, written by Chase Young, David Page, and Tim Rosinski. This book helps teachers connect reading science to artful teaching, which means teaching creatively, aesthetically, and authentically. This conversation reminds us that two things can be true. We can use what we know about reading science
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Melissa and Lori Love
0: Literacy, Literacy Podcast. We are thrilled because today we're going to discuss how to teach the science of reading artfully, which is such an interesting way
1: of thinking about this topic. Melissa, do you want to share with everyone who who we're here with? three incredible guests today. We have Tim Rosinski, David Page, and Chase Young, who's not the football player, I found out as I was (laughs) doing my Google searching. But they're all education professors from across the country and authors of an amazing new book called Artfully Teaching the Science of Reading. So, So excited for them to be here today. And I'll let them tell you all a little bit more about themselves, whatever they would like to share. And We can start with our return guest, Tim, if you'd like to start us off.
2: Sure. Uh, Yeah, glad to be back with you, Melissa and Lori. Actually, I should be the third person because I'm the third author of the book. Uh, But um, (laughs) yeah, I'm I'm delighted with actually how the book uh, turned out. Uh, I'm a professor of literacy education at Kent State University. Uh, I've been here 30 odd years, and uh, before that I was at the University of Georgia, and before that I taught. Uh, as a Title I uh, interventionist and a uh, middle school and elementary school teacher in uh, rural Nebraska. Um, and um, I don't know what else you want to know about me. Uh, reading fluency <laughs> has kind of been my gig for the last several years, and uh, we chatted about that in an earlier podcast. But uh, what we did with this book is kind of expanded that notion of artfully teaching fluency into the whole range of, um, whole range of literacy. Uh, but I'll let uh, Chase and David uh, take their cue. All right.
1: I guess we okay. need to go to Chase since he is the first author. Ooh, <laughs>
2: all right.
1: David, I feel like we're slighting you. I feel like we don't want to slight you, David. And
0: himself. really, I mean, Tim, we went to you first because you you, you really had the in. You know, like you got everybody into this podcast because, you know, you've been here before.
2: So. I know people. <laughs> you know, you know some
0: important podcast people. <laughs>
3: Well, I'm glad I got to go second because I like to listen to how people introduce themselves and go ahead and model <laughs> after that one. Uh, my name is Chase Young, and I am a professor of literacy at Sam Houston State University in Texas. And um, before that, I was an elementary school teacher. A student taught in first grade, taught second grade most of the time, taught third grade. Um, I was a Title I interventionist as well, a uh, literacy coach. And I am thrilled to be here for the first time ever.
0: Welcome. So you're going to speak all of the elementary teacher language.
3: Yes, absolutely. Those high school teachers can smell it on me. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Love that. David, welcome.
4: (laughs) Sure. Thank you so much. Uh, David Page, professor of literacy at Northern Illinois University. Uh, uh, Prior to Northern, I was at Bellarmine University in Louisville, Kentucky, and Part of that, I started my education career as a special educations teacher in middle school, uh, teaching children with mild and moderate uh, reading disabilities, math disabilities, that kind of thing. So I'm uh, just delighted to be here.
0: Well, thank you for all of you for being here. We're really glad that you are. And I'm wondering if we just start off with a question of how did the three of you get connected? You're all over the place and clearly all professors and brilliant people. So what brought you together?
2: (laughs) Well, I'm going to take a crack at that if uh, (laughs) if I could, uh, since I'm the old guy of the three. um, I'm going to take credit for actually bringing us together. Um, I would say back in the day when I had some hair on the top of my head, um, (laughs) I met Chase. I think first I was giving a lecture in um, Texas, Dallas area on reading fluency. And, um, was talking about some of the things we've continued to talk about the use of poetry, readers, theater, and so on. And this uh, guy came up after during a break and he says, you know what, I've been trying some of this stuff. Uh, and it, you know what, it's really, it really works. Not only does it, uh, seem to improve my students' literacy, but it also make, gets kids motivated to uh, read. That guy was Chase and, uh, we started a conversation there and, um, uh, been going ever since. He went on to get his doctorate at uh, North Texas, right? Mm-hmm. And um, has done some remarkable stuff uh, ever since. David, I met in Memphis, where he was a middle school teacher. I happened to be working with Bob Cooter, uh, who was a professor at the University of Memphis, and David was one of his students at the time. And we had dinner together, and David talked was talking to me about this, his dissertation study. He said, I'm doing a study on Choral reading in the middle grades, and I think, are you crazy? Middle grade students reading, <laughs> um,
1: and yeah, he, you know, he
2: got remarkable results out of it. And uh, again, we just started a conversation, and then we would, you know, get together at uh, conferences, and of course, uh, David, uh, Chase and myself, all have that kind of that common bond in the area of foundational reading, uh, reading fluency. And so it just gave us a natural uh, connection for the three of us. So that's how we started, and been going
3: ever since. Yeah, that's that's the truth.
1: <laughs> that happened. That's the story. That's the yeah. story. I <laughs> hunted him <it in> down.
4: <laughs> well, I, 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 I I've got to add to the story just slightly, uh, uh, Bob. When I told my uh, Bob Cooter I wanted to do a fluency dissertation, he goes, "Oh, you need to call Tim Rosinski." And uh, prior to my education, career, I was in business for 20 years and I've been in the music business. I've met all kinds of stars and celebrities all around the world. And, you know, no big deal. And when he said Tim Radzinski, because I'd read it, I hadn't read all your <laughs> stuff, Tim, because there was so much. But I read half. I said, "Oh no, no, there's no way I could call Tim Brzezinski. He's like <laughs> so a funny. really big deal, and I'm not worthy <laughs> and, uh, and, and then as Tim said, we met at Bob's house for a conference when, when he came down, and you know it was, it was so great. anyhow. that's <laughs> how we name.
1: felt when we asked him to be on the podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: No, really, I, I think Melissa, I think my exact words for to you were I've had a like a literacy crush on Tim Rosinski <laughs> for probably fifteen years since I read Flu Why Fluency Should Be Hot. I don't even know when that came out. It might have not been fifteen years ago, Tim, but that I remember reading that. I was te- I remember being a teacher reading that and yeah. being like, Oh my yeah. gosh, I love this. Yes, I need to do oh. this.
2: <laughs> That's
0: good.
1: David. David, I'm to- I totally get that. <laughs> <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the book a little now. Um, Like we mentioned, your book is Artfully Teaching the Science of Reading. And we know the science of reading is a hot topic. Um, So interested to hear about how you all what was your inspiration for writing a book about what it means? I can tell a little bit about what it means for artfully teaching the science of reading.
4: Mm Yeah, well, I think it well, if we start from the, uh, from the genesis of this, I believe it would have been the Literacy Today article uh, that, uh, that we did. Uh, just a short little article that kind of introduced the topic, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, I'll, I'll be corrected if I'm yep, not. That's it. <laughs> and, and, uh, <laughs> and then Tim, uh, Reading Research Quarterly, was doing this special edition on um, uh, Science of Reading. And Tim put together uh, a proposal really and asked us to join him on it uh, around this idea of uh, science and artfully really teaching reading. And uh, of course, it, and then it got accepted. And then, you know, we spent several months writing it, da 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 da. And so that kind of got it started. And then, Chase, you pick it up.
3: Yeah, I was doing a presentation uh, virtually at LRA, and someone in there was from. Rutledge and asked me if I had an idea for a book, but I just finished one and I was like, oh, I really don't want to write another book. <laughs> and so I said, I have one idea and it's called artfully teaching the science of reading. And she said, I love it. And I was like, dang it. But, uh, <laughs> so I grabbed the trusty David and Tim and, uh, and, uh, thankfully they accepted the invitation to write and uh, it was just something that we had been working with for so long and you know we love the science of reading and we are researchers by trade and you know everything we do is based on empirical research and but we also have that love of uh teaching reading and we and the motivation aspects and all of that that Mm. that we wanted to highlight um and we thought that through this book we could do that
2: yeah, if I, I, I'm going to actually take us back even a little bit further. You know, science of reading has been around at least 22 years with the report of the National Reading Panel. And I think we all have a fundamental understanding that, that yes, we, we need to teach those five pillars. But what, what occurred was some odd manifestations of the science of teaching reading or the, uh, teaching reading following uh, the, only the science. For example, we were seeing things where kids were put into drills where they're trying to be teachers trying to get them to read faster to improve their oral fluency scores. And it just, you know, we asked the question is, does that happen in real life where people do that sort of thing or, or scripted instruction where teachers have to follow, you know, precise scripts that are written for them? Yeah. And, the, um, and, and actually being enforced by the, uh, by, by the uh, uh, teacher police out there. <laughs> um, and, and we're just, you know, we're, we're saying to ourselves that, um, yeah, we, we certainly agree with this, the notion of science, but let's not forget that there, there are ways of teaching fluency, teaching phonics, teaching phonemic awareness, comprehension um, that don't have to be uh, scripted, that don't have to be, you know, tied to the, uh, uh, the outcome measures. We can find ways of doing it that are engaging well, I, we, we had those three principles, engage, uh, authentic, uh, aesthetic, and I forgot the last one,
3: creative. creative. Uh, <laughs> right.
2: Um, and that, what we saw, was, was missing in some of this instruction. And our, our, our notion was, is there a way to you know, honor the science, but do it in these ways that uh, kids, as you said, Chase, would find engaging and motivational and such. And that's for me, was the genesis for this.
4: Yeah and and I would uh, kind of add to that is I, I think we all absolutely nothing happens without a great teacher right all the science in the world of reading is totally useless if it just remains locked up in academic journals and research studies you know if it's not uh, you know implemented and put into action in the classroom by a by a knowledgeable competent teacher then it, it's all worthless so I think uh, that's another uh, foundational anchor of the book is that the teacher is the most important person in all of this Mm -hmm. and uh, we wanted that to come through
2: yeah and i'm going to throw one one other thing in Um, you know i I mentioned since uh, 2000 the report of the national reading panel well we're into this now for 20 plus years and yet if you look at the national assessment of educational progress our reading report card uh, as they say Things haven't changed in 20 years. We still have kids that about a third of our students that are reading at a level below basic uh, and uh, another third who are reading just at a basic level. And this is, you know, 20 plus years of saying we got to do science and we've got to ask the question. Maybe there's got to be more than simply focusing on on the science to to really improve those scores.
0: Yeah, that's such a good point. (laughs) So I'm I'm going I'm gonna assume the, the audience for this book is teachers. Yes.
4: Yes, absolutely. Teachers everywhere. Yep. <laughs> teachers teachers pre- pre-service,
2: yes. pre-service. Yeah,
4: yeah, we we're using it in our pre-service classes. So absolutely.
2: We intentionally made the book short. We wanted it right. we didn't want to be prescriptive. We wanted to throw out some ideas and some examples and say, okay, you know, now now you guys, whether you're a pre-service or an in-service teacher. Now it's your chance to you know take this science that we know and, and apply it in ways you, you've given you some examples. And I think exactly. one of the things we really accomplished was the brevity of the book, and it, it's pretty readable. I mean, Muslim Laurie, Lori, I think, did totally you say agree. it was a readable book?
0: <laughs> yes. Not only was it readable, but it also was really fun to read, if I may say so. Like, I felt like I was um, taking all of the things that I knew about reading science and what I know to be true about, you know, teaching using materials that are high quality. And then this was like gold because I felt like, Oh, I know so much about reading science, but I don't always know how to make it fun. And Mm. I I will say the, the, I read, I read half the book in one day and then I went and, um, I work with a little guy, um, one-on-one and, uh, I implemented, so we did half of the lesson that I typically do. And then the last half of the session, we did word letters, we did word sorts, we made words, and we did, we played. And it gave me a lot of confidence to play in a way that was very supportive of the reading science and the structures that I had already put in place for him. And he had so much fun. I will say, word letters is like his new favorite thing. So, it, would, it was just really amazing to be able to do that. And I mean, I had the book in front of me and was using it you know, while I was sitting there with
2: him. Hey, we should um, be interviewing you. Oh,
0: yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah <laughs> no kidding. Tell us
0: more. Next time I'll just record the session.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's, that's so, so, I mean, that's what we wanted out of this book was, you know, folks like you working with kids that feel empowered, um, that you, you you know a lot already. It's just you know applying that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was so helpful. I I feel like it might be helpful to talk about the book's structure because that to me, that was something that stood out as I read it that, and I'm going to go ahead and take a stab at it. And then I'd love for you all to jump in. Um, I I know that you talked about the artful teaching of the five pillars. you talk about artful teaching of assessment and that connection to home. So I thought those were all really important pieces to name. Is there anything else that I missed that you'd like to to call out for our listeners as like key components that you talk about in this book.
2: Well, we talked about those uh, those three principles that we kind of started with the things yeah. that uh, artful teaching is. Um, here we go again. Aesthetic. Yeah, authentic. Um, uh, authentic. One? authentic. authentic. And, uh, Creative. Authentic. Tim, we all we all wrote it, wrote it
1: down. down. <laughs> <team>. <laughs> uh, I
2: need to make an acronym out of it, but very quickly, at least from my point here. of view. Um, aesthetic <laughs> in, instruction is—I I, like—I'm I'm just going to use my own language here. It's that it touches the heart. Um, I often talk about how you know, reading—we use reading to educate the head, but also you know, we read uh, you know to to get that chill down our spines to have our hearts touched, and that should be part of our instruction as well. Not only and and of course for teachers as well. That that word aesthetic, by the way, it comes from a Greek word that means feeling and. That should be part of our instruction, Uh, not just the cognitive approach, but that uh, aesthetic approach. Um, Authentic, I go back to the work of John Dewey, who said that uh, the instruction we provide students in school should reflect what happens in the real world. So, you know, for again, the quick example, you mentioned word ladders, uh, Lori. Um, We like to play games as as adults, and many of those games are word games scrabble, boggle, wordle. Uh, if we'd like to play games, why want kids? And again, that's an example of something being authentic. And Chase and David, you can come up with examples as well. And the last one is creative. Um, That's what teachers are. They're creative, taking that science and and using it in ways that meet the needs of the students and that tap into the the strengths of the, the teacher. And it can look different from classroom to classroom and still honor the science. So. Yeah. David Chabot, how about you guys?
4: Well, you know, uh, one comment that I want to make about the book is because it covers the the five pillars. In other words, you know, there's some thought out there, or some, sometimes the science of reading is being positioned as phonics, phonemic awareness, and that's kind of it. Yes. And I think uh, you know, and certainly as researchers, we we uh, the science of reading is really wide and really deep and covers a number of topics. And I think putting the, uh, uh, all the pillars in there uh, addressing, you know, not just the new artist and phonics, but also fluency, comprehension, vocabulary that, uh, that that's really important that uh, science covers every, all of this about yeah. reading.
1: We appreciate that. <laughs> we really do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Know, I love how you, you took those
0: pieces, the, uh, or the artful teaching pieces, authenticity, s- aesthetically and creativity and, applied them to the five pillars and applied them to the different pieces of components of reading. Right. That was cool.
3: And I think another uh, chapters, in, in other chapters beyond those, you know, we talk about how to use the research and the theories to really spin the science into something that's truly artful, that that And, you know, I really enjoyed those chapters because it's, it's almost like setting you free, you know, once you have a really good foundation that, and, and you already talked about it, Lori. you, you're starting with the science and, you know, you're feeling that confidence and you're using it to create something new. I mean, the science of reading had to be created in, in the beginning, you know, had to start somewhere and where, where teachers come into play is where they move it forward you know, they take what we have and they and they just come up with new, engaging and and awesome stuff to use in their classes.
4: You know, the, the other thing I think that's happened with this book um, regarding the timing of it. You know, we're, you know, we we were in this COVID situation for for two two plus years. And I don't know about you guys, I'm sure you're doing the same thing. I'm doing a lot of talks to schools and to districts, and they all want to hear about the book. And there's just this voracious appetite to now talk about destruction <laughs> and, and, and talk about And, of course, at the same time, the science reading has kind of gained traction over the last several years. And so uh, the, the timing is just all oh, this, this intersection of, of this has uh, been just perfect. And people are really open now to, to hearing all of this and, and exploring it.
1: I'm wondering if you all could talk a little bit about um well I'll set up I'll set it up for you. I think that right now there's a big push and I think it's a good push for teachers to learn about the science of reading, right through professional development. That's great. <laughs> I think there's a big push too to have quality materials so that they're not running around trying to, you know, find things on teacher pay teachers and so they have quality materials. So if I'm a teacher that has I have these quality materials in my school. I'm learning about the science of reading. Can you all give some examples of, okay, I have these things. What does it mean to take something from that and teach, do it artfully?
3: <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> I guess I'll jump sure. in. So you have these yeah. high quality materials. Let's say that you have a fantastic text, right? And maybe it's a decodable text and and the students have been working on particular, you know, um, uh, some sort of phonic skills and and those texts are, are, are matched uh, for the instruction. You know, afterwards there's, there's things you can do with it uh, to bring it more authentic. For example, you know, they're reading it independently, um, you know, after being instructed and then maybe they get to take that book to the teacher they had before and read it to the to the younger students. So there's like an authentic thing. It's like, hey, you're practicing for a read aloud. You're going to go to your class and you're going to read to the first graders and it's going to be awesome. So let's make sure that we read this accurately, that we know how to pronounce the words and that we read with great expression because there's a reason for you to be practicing. Yeah,
1: that's and, a great and, example.
2: Um, and I might take it to the level of comprehension. Um, I think we... I, mentioned that uh, if you really want to comprehend something, do something with what you have. Uh, So taking that text that you have, let's say it's a narrative, and turning it into a reader's theater script uh, or using it uh, in a project. Uh, Perhaps you're reading an informational text uh, and you're using the information that you've gotten as a way to maybe change school policy or to write a letter to the editor of the local newspaper whatever. When you do something with uh, the text, you really have to understand it deep, more more deeply than simply reading something and entering into a discussion with your classmates. You're actually doing something very authentic and, and purposeful with, with that text. Um, so, you know, that's another example might, uh, might, might be. We like to use the use of poetry, too. You know, when you talk about high-quality materials, my question is, what's a high-quality material? Uh, is it material that's only taught in systematic ways? Uh, I, I think that's gotten to be sort of the, uh, um, the way we think of it now. But I, I would like to think of authentic materials, poetry. Um, I've been using song. I've got a lot of that from David with his background in, in music. Um, the use of reader's theater scripts, uh, use, the use of rhetoric, oratory, uh, we'll, we'll be having students learn the Gettysburg Address here uh, come November on the anniversary of that. You know, these are the, uh, to me, these are high quality material as well. And yet these are oftentimes the kinds of material that are are missing from many of our classrooms. We've been so focused on narrative and expository texts that uh, we've uh, we've kind of pushed these off to the side.
4: You know, uh, I'll go to the other end of the continuum, you know, when we're dealing with kindergarten children, very early uh, learners. Uh, yeah, it's it's always fun to go into an elementary school like that and and just watch a very young child, you know, as they're learning something as simple as letters, learning learning letter sounds, and then when they finally get to put those together into something like you know being able to read their name or being able to write their name and just the incredible joy that that kids get in that moment that's that's unbelievable right and so i think when we're looking at at artful teaching that that's part of it too you know sometimes you know it, it's like if you if, if you ever want to have fun with with science you have to learn the basics of science and and sometimes that's fun. And sometimes it's not all that much fun. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but but with, with reading, we learn these, these, these very foundational skills uh, with reading. Uh, but there can be a lot of fun in doing that. And an awful teacher can learn how to help those children have fun while they're learning. And, uh, you know, where, where their focus is now on, you know, having a good time they don't really maybe even understand that uh, they're learning something that's absolutely crucial to their future success. Right. They just know they're having fun. <laughs> kind of like I mean, Chase still has fun. But <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: that's the best kind of learning. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a quick mm-hmm. shout out to Chase here, your, your website. He's uh, not a very, very modest guy. It's called thebestclass.org. <laughs> but on it, he has posted readers' theater scripts that he and his second graders uh wrote many years ago what they would do is they would read a read a story uh, you'd either read it to them or they'd read it on their own g- engage in a discussion but then what they would do is they would turn that script or uh, the story into a script so they would have to deeply analyze that story i'm, I'm taking words out of your mouth here chase but tell me yeah, if that's gone cool. yeah they, i mean they're they're engaging in the deep analysis of that and, and like you said david not even knowing you know, they're engaging some high level cognitive activity, uh, making yeah. meaning. Uh, here. And then, yeah, of course, when they would,
4: critical thinking. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. And then when they would perform it, uh, you know, there you have the fluency because they'd have to rehearse the, the script.
3: Yeah. So. And I'll tell you some amazing stories from that. Like when I'd have my students script, they could they could just use a mentor te- text or they could. Make a parody of it, and then those became choices the next week for students to rehearse and perform. And I interviewed one of the girls that uh, that had written the script. Somebody had chose their, her script, performed it, and I said, "How how does it feel?" She goes, oh, "I feel really happy, and I feel like I'm going to be famous one day." Uh-huh. <laughs> I was Broadway like, every writer. kid, every kid <laughs> should go home thinking they're going to be famous because of something they did in school <laughs> right, that day. Right. And I it was that. incredible. I mean, we, yeah. we took it to new levels where the fourth graders, they would write, they would take their own stories they had written because, you know, fourth grade writing. and uh, And then my students would turn it into scripts. And then we'd perform back for the fourth graders. And the fourth graders would evaluate the voice that they had embedded in their writing. So it was was a really cool partnership.
0: I love this artful discussion. Would you say this is authentic, aesthetic, (laughs) and creative? Like, is it all of them?
2: Like this example?
0: Or is it, okay. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Creative in the sense that you're taking, you're making something that didn't exist before. Uh, Authentic in the sense that um, Hollywood is full of writers who take other people's stories, turn them into scripts. And Mm -hmm. uh, what's the other one? Oh, aesthetic. <laughs> uh, oh my
1: gosh.
2: Uh, you know, I girl, love this. Guy, I yeah, love you this. Listen, Tim, we're going to make you a T-shirt. We're
0: going to make you <laughs> a T-shirt. With these three on
2: yeah, but yeah I, you reminded me of one we did, um, have done in our reading clinic here at the university. Uh, our one of the things our students do is they learn. uh the, well, One of the goals is to learn to read something well every day. What can you learn to read well every day? A poem. So we engage them in, in a lot of rehearsal and performance, but eventually we get to the point where they write their own poetry. And one of the things that uh, they do is our last day of our, our reading clinic that we have a little assembly and the parents and grandparents show up and the kids perform their own poetry. But on top of that, I will take their favorite poems, take them home in the evening and I'll type them up into a little book. And so at the end of our reading clinic that each child is presented with a collection of poetry. Uh, that they contributed to. And, you know, these are kids who are not very good readers to begin with. Uh, many of them are in tears the first day they arrive in a reading clinic because they don't want to be there. Right. Um, and yet here they are being a contributor to an authentic book of poetry that they, uh, you know, that they participated in. That's to me, that's, you know, these, right. these are the stories that we need to have more of in our classrooms. Yeah.
3: And so text type is so important. We just completed a study in a different state with a couple hundred um, third and fourth graders that were behind where they needed to be due to the mm, mm, oh yeah the pandemic and (laughs) uh yeah i forgot all about that and i selected 50 texts for this intervention it's called read like us it's it's like a it's a version of like gradual release of responsibility and and choral reading and then some sort of authentic read to somebody else and and uh that'll be coming out soon but the what we really took away from it is that these kids were asking to bring home the intervention materials because they loved the text so much i mean there was like humorous poetry stories with a twist scary stories um a few of the texts were actually just a list of weird state laws. Like, it's illegal to buy cheese on Sunday. In oh, I love those. Whatever. Oh, my and, gosh. That's so amazing. And we read those on Facebook. It's like clickbait, right? Oh. We're like, oh, that's <laughs> yeah. crazy. So I started using some of that clickbait as intervention materials, and they loved it because, you know, I mean, if you're going to repeatedly read something, it might as well be interesting.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to say, what I what I think – when I first started reading the book, I was thinking, I feel like there's a little bit of a danger here of teachers making choices based on, let's say, I think this might be too hard for my kids, so I'm just going to make it easier, or mm-hmm. like I don't think they'll like that, so I'm just going to do it this way, and then the new way is actually not based on science, <laughs> right? Um, but all these examples, I, I'm just thankful to hear all those examples that you all just said, because... It's not that right. They are still based on science. You're still based on how do you get students to read and how do you get them to mm-hmm. their grade level? Right. Not just trying to make it easier, but how do you make it engaging and relevant mm-hmm. to get them there? And yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. The, Melissa, science is the foundation. Yeah. It's what it's what we do with the science.
0: Yeah. Uh, it made me think so much of Um, I mean, I know we, we can talk about science in a lot of different ways, but it's making me think about, uh, we recently talked with Sonia Cabell from, um, from Florida, Florida state. State. I was like Florida center for reading research, but that is not where she works. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) she, she was talking about content, rich ELA and, um, I just feel so connected to to the stories that you just shared about the poems. I'm like, I just love to imagine as people share these stories, and as you all were talking, I was imagining like a, the the students who were in uh, you know science and social studies or even content-rich ELA writing the poetry that connects to the topics that they're learning about in those classes. And so, to me, like this is where that artful teaching comes in. It's finding the that connected content. You know, sometimes in in wherever you are in your curriculum and it doesn't have to be something separate, you know, and those examples, Chase, you shared about clickbait. They're so cool. They'll, they're like anytime ones, you know, but I was thinking (laughs) in terms of like connecting to content, that would be amazing. Like imagine every, um, you know, module where you're studying the sea and you send the kids home with a poetry book of poems that they've all written about the sea at the, you know, or to practice. And then they all practice reading each other's poems. Like that to me is where it feels like the special artfulness comes in as the teacher. So I just wanted to share that. I was like making a a connection to that content, (laughs) Richie LA and our content um, that sometimes I think gets overlooked in Mm -hmm. (laughs) or or under publicized, I should say.
3: Well, it's interesting, too, because, you know, What Works Clearinghouse gets a lot of uh, credit for some of the things we do. And one of the things on What Works Clearinghouse is establish an engaging and motivating context in which to teach reading comprehension. And we cannot forget about that one. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's got evidence it's it's a uh, moderate evidence yeah. that, that that supports reading comprehension which is the main goal of reading
2: Yeah, i'd like the uh, where you're mentioning Lori, the uh,
3: bringing the content
2: and one example that um uh, i love to share is um uh, I, I mentioned the gettysburg address i i love having students take um you know segments of dr king's i have a dream speech or kennedy's "Ask not what you can do for your your country uh, or ask not what your country can do for you uh, and, and practice and perform it. But I, I recall several years ago, I was working with some upper elementary grade students and they were doing the Gettysburg Address and they started asking questions about it. What, what is this, what is this speech all about? And what we did then was as a group of five or six uh, middle grade kids, we started to um, dig into it. And we, they learned about that battle that, uh, that uh, occurred six months earlier in July of 1863 uh, and they took that content and they turned it into a script and we, and the script ended with the, the actual performance of the speech, the Gettysburg address. And it was so inspiring to see that these kids were engaged because they had a reason they were going to perform. Uh, but and it, at the same time, they were improving their fluency, but also, re- uh, learning quite, quite a lot about uh, American history, you know, content that's quite important even to this day.
1: Yeah. David, when we talked earlier, you actually gave an analogy to a doctor using the science, but being artful. You, do you remember? Or am I putting on the spot?
4: Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I turn out like five analogies every twitch <laughs> <laughs> If you don't remember, that's okay. Yeah, I remember. Uh, yeah, we'll, go ahead we'll, to, well, what did I say about that?
0: I think it was. Did you have surgery recently? I think it was. Yeah, uh, I did. Yeah, it was in accordance with your knee surgery. Was it me? My remembering, right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's story.
4: Okay. (laughs) So so, yeah, I had uh, I had uh, meniscus surgery, and so I went to see the doctor about ten days after the surgery, and uh, uh, yeah, I told him how happy it was I was, and it felt so much better. He got all excited. So he he immediately goes to his, his video screen. He pulls up a video of of the surgery as he was doing the inside of my knee. Gross. And the thing that was so cool, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> he was so he was geeking out. He was just geeking out. And I'm thinking, oh man, if I got the right surgeon here, he loves <laughs> this stuff. And I, I and so I was driving home. I started thinking about reading and how the very best reading teachers, I think, just really geek out. Over how do I do this? How do I get kids more engaged? You know, how do I, how can I make this, uh, you know, kind of fun for kids and still get the essential learning that they have to have? And I think that's what I was talking about in relation to that. And, you know, not everybody does that. Not all doctors were like this guy. Not all teachers are like this, but I think, uh, you, we can definitely get there and, and it, it's where we want to go, where we really, and it really comes down also. To understanding uh, the content of reading, you know, I always talk about literacy yeah. and reading. It's a content area, just like biology is. Yeah, even though yes. so often we give students one or two semesters to learn it, which is not sufficient. Uh, <laughs> but but it's it's a content area. But you when you start getting that content under control, uh, you know, within your within your schema and understand how it can come together then I think you can really start looking at the art of how can you make this interesting because you understand how to manipulate all these pieces, you know, regardless of the uh, curriculum that you might be
2: using.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And I might add that your your, your doctor probably told you also, David, here's some options for, um, you know, improving your, your neat performance. Maybe flight of steps, uh, walk a mile. Maybe uh, if you're going on vacation, you know, walk on the beach, whatever, you know, again, giving you options that are authentic and that your exactly. own particular needs. You know, that's again, that's that's the art. That, that's right. might add yeah. that we, we talk about the medical arts more, I think, than right. we talk about the medical sciences, even though medicine is a science. But, you know, this right. still has that artful dimension to it.
4: Yeah. You know, but- I, I, I I think that's a really critical point <laughs> is I, I do think that there's a perception sometimes or that could be on the part of teachers that there's this whole big thing called the science of reading. You know, and it's scary. I don't understand it. I don't know what it is. Uh, but somewhere in there is the answer to everything. And, uh, <laughs> you know, as, as you know, I heard a doctor interviewed on the radio one day, he says, you know, you know, we, we, we have data to back up just a percentage of what all we do. Yeah. That's why it's called the medical arts to Tim's point. And so I think teachers need to understand the same way that there are fundamental uh, uh, processes and, and ways to go about teaching things that we know work. Um, but it really does come down to the individual teachers how you're going to put all that together and uh, you know understanding this whole this whole process and I think within all of that becomes the art of, of how you know sometimes there's more than one way to to, to, to get to something right and uh, they, they can both work equally well and um, you know, I do think the other thing is to never forget because and, and, we all we all have a favorite teacher that we had that we had. At some point in our career, and when you think about what made that teacher your favorite, lots of times for whatever reason, you know there was personality involved. Mm -hmm. You know, the individual had some kind of personality that you related to, that that touched you, that connected with you. And I think I I I think that's part of being an effective teacher. That's part Mm -hmm. of the art. And you know, teachers have different personalities that you know. But but you know, that's all. It's all in the mix. Yes, the aesthetics. It's in the
3: mix. Right. yep I always hear, you know, not everything has to be fun, not all instruction has to be fun. but I retort, but if you can make it fun, shouldn't you? <laughs> I mean, you don't have to keep it boring. <laughs> yeah,
0: right. I mean, unloading my dishwasher is not fun, but when I set a, when I put a song on Yes, yeah. Spotify and try to do it and under that song it is so much more fun than if I'm just like oh, yeah. I'm to unload the dishwasher
3: you know? I always see or- families in the movies having so much fun throwing dishes around and stuff so yeah
0: I, I can't it. say that that's exactly my house Chase but <laughs> I aim for <Well>, that
4: <laughs> well Lori you know I have a certain way I do when I unload the dishwasher sometimes I change it up <laughs> I just change it up oh what yeah
0: do You do. what do you do oh instead so of starting start at the top the plate, you start the at the
4: bottom exactly yeah oh,
3: <laughs> you did it wild the water goes everywhere water. <laughs> sometimes I just wash the dish after I'm done eating and put it to the side oh, oh no, that's yeah. radical that is yeah. insane. that's too much
0: <laughs> you're really getting artful yeah <laughs> and
1: creative <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness
2: But if we end uh, up at at, at the same endpoint, Clean clean dishes dishes, uh, are unloaded. Why not? Dishes are clean. Yeah, exactly.
4: They're
0: put away. Yeah, Yeah. dishes are clean, ready to put away. Exactly.
4: And nothing got broken.
2: (laughs) You know, I I want to add something to all this, too, talking about endpoints. What we've done in the book is we've actually shown that when you do these artful approaches, you end up with, uh, you know, uh, the results that you want. Better readers, more motivated readers, kids who are uh, find see themselves as readers. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you know we're not just dismissing the science at all. We're actually, I perhaps laying another, putting another layer of science, saying that yes, these are not just artful and scientific approaches, but there's documented research, many of which we have done ourselves, that show that you get the those results that you want. Yeah.
4: You know, if, if we bring together several different things, you know, we got these NAEP results that uh, Tim mentioned earlier that uh, for the most part have not really substantially improved in 30 years, despite the literally trillions of dollars that get spent by school districts. And uh, but then intersect that with why people become teachers. You know, people become teachers, almost most everybody. Um, uh, because we want to help kids, we want to help kids learn, right? We want to we we like that that we want to see that happen.
1: Yeah.
4: And so uh, you know, and so I've talked to so many elementary teachers over the years that you know, in a way, they've kind of gotten beaten down. You know, it, things aren't working well for them. They're 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 upset about it. They don't know what to do. And so I think that's part of what we're doing with the book is really bringing out some strategies and things that will help kids. And there's nothing more motivating for a teacher than to hear a kid reading better. I mean, cause that's what you're in it for, right? Nobody's in it to get rich. You know, we're in it to help kids read better. And when yeah. you hear that, that's the reward that you just cling to. And I think that's, that's a big part of the book uh, that, that these, these strategies will, will help to that end.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That reminds me so much of um, some work we did here in Baltimore. Um, well, The teachers did (laughs) in Baltimore around fluency. And, you know, they they had fluency work in their middle school curriculum, uh, but the teachers found that it wasn't quite working. (laughs) Right. And and they were actually in a fellowships. They were able to do continuous improvement, which like kind of freed them up to say, okay, well, that that's not working the way that it's laid out. What can Melissa, we do? Can you share what wasn't working? Can you just? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it was a homework assignment, right? So they were being sent home, and uh, David, you taught middle school, so you yep. can say how many of your kids went home and and did their homework every single night. <laughs>
2: oh, oh, yeah, a hundred percent,
1: right? <laughs> <laughs>
3: You're right. <laughs>
1: um, and especially when it's a fluency, you know, that that fluency work is not something you can really, you know, the teacher can't tell the next day. Like, did they did they do that or not? It's not something you can really capture on a piece of paper for a student to hand in. Right. Mm-hmm. So they can say they did it, but the teacher doesn't know whether they did it or not. <laughs> um, right. So, but what was great about this work was that the teachers, they really, they were able to talk to experts. They talked to to Tim, they talked to David Levin, they talked to other experts to find out what our best practices, is. And then they tried things with their students to see what had, what, You know, what did help them get to that point, David, of like, oh, now they're actually they are reading better. I can see they're they're doing something. I tried it differently. And now it's actually working. Um, And that was a really great experience. And it a lot of when I read this book reminded me of that time because the teachers were able to like really kind of I don't want to say play, but they did play around a little bit to find what worked best for their students.
4: You know, one of the coolest things that happened to me when I was teaching, I had a class. uh, kids with reading disabilities, and I started implementing choral reading. And uh, I I found out really fast, of course, they didn't want to do it, that I needed a stronger backbone than what they had. (laughs) And and it took really about three weeks. And after about three weeks, it was going really well, except for three boys in the back of the class. They just they literally, I'd I'd hand out the, the, the sheet for them to read with the passage up. They literally would take it and just flip it in the air and let it fly to the floor. And uh, so, you know, my attitude is, well, I'm moving forward with those who want to move forward with me. And uh, and I did. And it was on a Thursday of the third week. And uh, we practiced the script and the kids were they just do it. And we got done reading it. And little Kayla in the front of the class, she goes, "Ooh, Mr. Page, that sounded good. <laughs> and, you know, and the whole, and it was like and, and she was a bit of an opinion maker in that class. It was like she turned around and said, hey, you three in the background, uh, the back. Of the, it's okay if you want to read now. And they started reading after that. I
1: love that. And it, it, it was
4: just one of the biggest turning points. And so I ended up writing an article in The Reading Teacher about choral reading. And that's just what you have to do, you know. And, and kids want to feel successful. And these mm-hmm. kids were feeling successful.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's amazing. And I, if I might add a little bit of research that we've done recently, David uh, was talking about the boys in the back. Well, we, uh, we did an 18 week study using a reader's theater format. It was a weekly format that targeted, uh, reading fluency, uh, reading comprehension and vocabulary. So each day there was a, a bit of, a bit of each. And, you know, they'd perform on, on Fridays. And the great part is, is first of all, anecdotally, you know, some of the kids that were struggling got to practice all week. And for the first time ever, they stood next to their peers and sounded like a great reader reading aloud. And that was such a big confidence builder. Now, some of the results of this study indicated that, you know, uh, treatment versus control treatment significantly outperformed on the reading comprehension measure. Uh, But also we did a secondary analysis and we split out boys and girls in treatment and control. And at pretest, there's that gap where boys were not doing as well as the girls. And, and that was true for decoding vocabulary and reading comprehension in both groups. But the treatment group that got the reader's theater by the end of the 18 weeks, that gap was gone. They were performing wow. similarly. And in the control, the gap still remained. And we were literally f- <laughs> flabbergasted. We didn't know. Why. We were like, Oh my gosh, what a great finding. But we couldn't, we didn't know why. So we actually ended up surveying like, uh, about a hundred boys, uh, that participated in reader's theater and asked them, you know, what do you like about it? What do you not like about it? And essentially <laughs> it's actually kind of funny. One of the questions was, um, uh, well, uh, does reader Theater help you read better? And one of the responses was no, because it's fun. <laughs> 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 oh,
2: That's
3: funny. But, yeah, but after our thematic analysis, we found out that the the boys really enjoyed the collaborative aspect, the performance aspect, and because the scripts were somewhat humorous, they also liked, uh, you know, entertaining their peers. So those were some of the findings. And so as you mentioned, Chase, they were successful. They were successful. Um, yeah. They were feeling. Let yeah. me read. I can read. Yeah.
2: Did you
0: say eighteen weeks?
3: Yeah, it was eighteen weeks.
0: Okay, that seems like really manageable as a teacher to be like, okay, I can. That's what I love about fluency. I mean, if I may just say that, it's a quick win for educators, and I don't think in teaching yeah. we have a lot of quick wins. Yeah. So that it to is. me feels like a really quick
3: win. Yeah, the school library journal called it the silver bullet at one point. And you know, I yeah, it's great. And yeah. uh, and it, you know, it takes about five five ten minutes a day. Um, yeah. You know, I, I the first study we did, I looked at you know what do we, what am I doing for five minutes that isn't having an impact? And yeah. you know, dumped Probably a lot um, of things. <laughs> I think it was DOL that I ended up getting rid of the daily oral language half mm. sheets. You know that they fill out. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. Oh gosh, that's yeah. a great idea. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So bye bye.
0: Strikes me here too is you created noise. Like they, the students who benefited or the students who got to orally practice, I mean, it's, it's noisy. It's mm-hmm. fun. It's impactful. Like they're, noise. they're able to yeah. talk and practice and build their confidence. And I mean, you just said it benefited boys a whole lot there. And that I think is a component of that. And not that mm-hmm. girls also all children, I think enjoy noise um, to an right. extent, but you know, I just want to make sure that, like, we say that. But I think that the noise factor is important—that we're allowing them to be louder, express themselves, encourage that. That's important.
4: Mm-hmm. You, you know, Lori. Besides the motivation and engagement uh, portions that you just talked about, I, I think, I think fluency, particularly in older elementary and, and some middle school kids, I think one of the reasons it works. Is that so many kids they get they haven't done really enough reading to really ground all those letter sound connections. Yeah. It's not that they don't know how to decode or they don't they just are not very good at it yet. They haven't had a lot of practice. And I think a lot of these fluency strategies that we're talking about here, you know, provide that practice in a fun and engaging way. And it just goes to show that they just need to get over that hump. They need they need more practice with this. And as they do, it comes together and it can come together you know, much faster uh, just because they haven't engaged very much in it. And I think that's why so often this is
2: successful. Yeah. What I like about Chase's study is that these uh, students, they had a reason to engage mm-hmm. in the practice because mm-hmm. they're going to perform on Friday, you know, when we have our poetry cafe or our reader's theater festival uh, there. So, and, you know, sometimes we think about things like reader's theater and poetry. Th- these are things we use on right to read week or, you know, these special occasions. And I think we need to break out of that, uh, that, that trap and say, this is something that should be done on a regular basis. 18 weeks, very manageable to took, but 20. Minutes per day at most, perhaps for the kids to do a lot of the home. The, a lot of the practice could be done independently. Um, so we need to, th- you know, think about the artfulness. We often do the artfulness on those special days.
3: Right. We need to expand the right. artfulness throughout the school. Yeah, readers' theater about St. Patrick's Day. There are no <laughs> <Yeah>. research <laughs> studies out there that say that readers' theater works in a week. <laughs> right. Right. Really right. good point. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Well, before oh. we start to wrap up, is there? Anything else about the book that you want to make sure that our listeners hear?
3: It's a great, I book. really had a great time writing it. It was probably okay. the most fun book that I've written. So <laughs> I
1: can tell from the three of you working together that it was <laughs> it probably was the fun. fastest
3: book. <laughs>
2: yeah. I think chase you, you, it was what uh, it took about four months to write the entire book. Wasn't it?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Cause uh, yeah, yeah. we had how a deadline how long of do a books year. typically take. Oh, years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. We had a deadline of a year and I told them that we should really put this as a priority because the field would benefit. And uh, yeah. so we. Yeah, I
4: think I think I remember, Chase, he took that year and crunched it down to six months. Yeah. <laughs> I <did>. I <laughs>
2: <laughs> and no they problem. listened. But they listened.
0: <laughs> Nobody was doing anything anyway, so Yeah.
4: yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> but I think what happened is we had all this bottled up inside of ourselves and so it was just yeah. a matter of letting it spill out and then yeah. you know, chatting with one another, t- talking to teachers out there who are doing this kind of stuff and you know, it, it was such an yeah, uh,
3: yeah. as you said, yeah, we so actually, it was an
2: enjoyable experience. Yeah. We actually yeah. surveyed it
3: was, it was. we shared a survey with a bunch of educators to just say, Hey, what are some of the artful things you do in your classrooms? And we'd read it and evaluate them and we've we added those anecdotes in the book as well. So
0: Oh, that's so fun. That's where they came from. Yeah. Many of them. I love that.
3: Except for the viviparous <laughs> thing. That was me. I was sitting there next to that preschooler that made me feel I like I like was a dummy one. face. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then, you know, not to reveal too much, but then he's like, oh yeah, my dad's a blue angel pilot. I'm like, okay, you're just the best thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: funny. funny. That's in the very beginning of the book, too. Oh, not, you know, very beginning yeah. of the book. So, yeah. Page 11. Page 11. There we go. <laughs> So I think we're going to bring this to a close, but we have a special question for you to reflect on about your book at the end of this closing. So keep that in mind. Um, <laughs> I'll start here and I'm going to um, we're going to ask you each a question and then we'll ask all three of you a question. So we have uh, an, a quick response, like a, you know, a fast um, just for fun, just for <laughs> okay. fun round of questions. Uh, okay. Tim, I'm going to start with you. What do you love to read?
2: What do I love to read? uh i like, love to read uh it's not a quick answer is it uh, Research articles. i like to read everything i to like read newspapers <laughs> i like to read uh readers digest magazine articles i like to read uh informational text interestingly enough um more so the narrative um and i i like to read things that inspire me so i will read poetry i will read uh uh famous speeches from American history and those sorts of things. That, that's kind of all, all, all over the
1: place.
2: <laughs> I read, that must be why a
0: lot of, of them made it to your fluency books, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: all
1: right, David, you're up next. Well, what? I really like Oh, oh yeah. hang on. You get a new question. Get ready. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah,
4: oh we're but rapid what?
0: firing
1: here. Go ahead. <laughs> what do you love to watch?
4: Um you know, I think uh so you're talking about TV, I think, right? Could could or be
1: anything. <laughs> well, okay. <I'm> <laughs> I think some different- someone said bird watching. I think at some point.
4: <laughs> so well, I'm going to go well. So uh, we've, got, we've got a large yard here at the house up in Wisconsin and, and a big patio. And it's amazing how many birds we have in the backyard, all <laughs> kinds of birds, all kinds of woodpeckers, See? red birds, all kinds of things. And we just, we sit out there in the, uh, in the evening with adult beverages and we love watching the birds. We just, they fly across all three yards, kind of, it's several hundred <laughs> yards across here. And, uh, that's really fun. So, so I cool. enjoy that. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a very different, it's quite the distraction, uh, gets me off of everything else. So I enjoy yeah.
0: that. Sounds <laughs> very peaceful. And mm-hmm. very is. different from Netflix.
3: So Yeah, you'd love <laughs> My Neighbors. That's what they do.
0: <laughs> All right, Chase, you get an, an, another question. What do oh you my. love to listen to?
3: Oh, so my favorite genre is punk. I like nice. punk rock.
0: <laughs> I didn't expect that.
3: <laughs> In particular, I like Irish punk. So like Dropkick Murphys, sloggy Molly.
0: Okay, yeah. So like Saint, is St. Patrick's Day your jam?
3: I love St. Patrick's Day. (laughs) I celebrate wholeheartedly.
0: That is amazing. We're going to add a a link in our show notes to Dropkick Murphy's
3: there. (laughs) Do it right now. Actually, funny story. One of the articles we wrote um, about the boys' results was called The Boys Are Back and They're Looking for Drama. And that is a parody of The Boys Are Back by Dropkick Murphy's. And all of the headings are actually lyrics from the song. Uh, That
1: is funny.
0: That's great. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is awesome. Thank you for sharing. I, I'm going to answer
2: that question too because I I like listening and uh, to um, uh, Broadway musicals. Oh, and, I do too. And, uh, Tim. I know the words to all the songs. All you have to do is yeah, give the words uh, in print, and the next thing you know, I'm uh, I'm reading. Right, uh, and
3: yes. that's what we do. Oh, look First at you, Tim. One last fluency stretch.
1: Always,
0: I know. Always <laughs> teaching us lessons. <laughs> I, know I shared not. in our yeah. fluency podcast that I. How you know, we have I don't know, Amazon or Spotify or something, and it's connected to Alexa. And I, what I do is I put on the TV, I'll just say, like, play blah blah blah, like play country music or play pop music, Irish punk. And the, I play, I'm um, that's going to be my next one. And <laughs> it, the words come on the screen. And I notice when the kids in the neighborhood are here, they all stand in front of the TV and just watch the words and then they'll start to sing along. And then it, it, I'm like, oh, so good. Thank you for building your fluency while you're hovering right. in front of yeah. the, t- the songs.
2: <laughs> There's actually a study that the What Works Clearinghouse uh, reported on and said that uh, that's, a, that's a great approach to improving. This was with high school students. They called it yeah. karaoke reading. Yeah. Uh, but We did uh, a study again. with well, elementary you with got, second graders. You've got reported. the assisted reading that the science tells us about, but also in an artful way. That's way better than
1: when I used to have to pause the tapes to write down the lyrics.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh, in your notebook?
1: Yes. (laughs) But it was actually probably pretty helpful for everything we're talking about. Yeah. All right, our last question. This is for everybody. You guys can jump in. Is What is your hope for this book?
4: Well, so my hope is that... uh, yeah, you know, we create better readers, more kids who, who love reading and are, are better at it. You know, that's that's basically my goal every day when I wake up. <laughs> so, yeah, that's it. That's mine.
2: Mine would be that we open up the discussion here that uh, it's not just a, a matter of science or art, but that, you know, we you know, cross pollinate, if you will, uh, and challenge each other to think in these creative sort of ways. So, so that, uh, you know, it's not it, I don't know, just we continue this conversation like we're having right here, uh, but enlarge you know, in, in
3: the uh, audience. I really hope that it empowers teachers to use what they know about the science and give them a just permission to make it awesome. Um, and, you know adjust it to meet the needs of their students in the classes. And, you know, every, every year, it seems like you think you have it and then you get this new group and they're totally different. (laughs) And so I want them to be able to dynamically shift, um, using all of their great knowledge Mm -hmm. to teach their kids to read the best they can. I love that.
1: And I, I mean, I think in education, we have a tendency to be black and white, right? Like you're teaching the science of reading or you're not. And so I just really appreciate what you all just said of like,
2: Yeah, you know, D- David Pearson talked about, and this is years ago, being in the radical middle.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I think
2: that's where we are. You know, we see both sides and it's just, you know, finding a way of integrating it. Yeah.
0: yeah. I really do think that that's what it's going to take to get... I don't want to say get everyone on board, but I don't know how... any uh, Another way to say it to help... You know, have everyone who is maybe starting to learn about the science and those who are very already steeped in it to really come together. I think this approach is what's going to help make everyone a believer. You know, yep. I'm hopeful.
3: <laughs> I am, too. Very good. We are, too. Yep. Gotta, yep. Yeah. We well, gotta ra- thank raise you some
0: all. Scores. <laughs> I thank you. This has been so delightful. So thank you so much for yeah. being here. you were so us fun to talk
1: time. to. Thank you. A lot
3: of fun. <laughs> we can right? do this all day, but we shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah.
3: <laughs> okay. Thanks so much for having us. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. Thanks you. So okay.
4: okay.
0: Thanks for listening. Literacy lovers. We release a new podcast episode every Friday and share more resources in a newsletter on Tuesday. Sign up for our newsletter at literacypodcast.com. Each week, you'll receive important information, resources, and connected content.
1: We're excited to create a space for community discussion about our podcast. We want to connect with our listeners and support you in answering your questions. But we also realize there are a lot of other educators out there who have great advice and experience too. Let's keep learning together in our Melissa and Lori Love Literacy Podcast Facebook group, and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. If the
0: content in this episode helped you, share with a fellow educator and teacher friend. Our Literacy Lover community welcomes educators at every stage of their learning journey. We're so glad you're here to learn with us.
4: The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests of the Melissa and Lori Love Literacy Podcast in this episode are not necessarily the opinions of Raymind's PBC or its employees.